Well, good morning. What does it mean to have faith? What does faith looked out like when it's lived out, especially when, and, and especially when it seems that God is silent? Today we're going to continue the, the sermon series we kicked off after Labor Day, reading through the kingdom section of the Bible. We're looking at the books of Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, and today, as you can tell, we're in the portion of the kingdoms known as First Kings. And we come to a story that is a story that involves four main characters. God, of course, God is always the central character in Scripture. Uh, there's the greatest prophet of the Old Testament often thought to be the greatest prophet of the Old Testament. In fact, so great that many people wondered if Jesus, when he came, was the prophet Elijah risen back from the dead. There's Elijah. And there's this widow from Seraphith. We don't know anything about her other than she's a widow and she lives in Seraphith. We don't know her name. And then her son, who's also unnamed. And, and the, story, the story is really a story about God's provision and about faith. First, before we jump in, let's take a look at the context. At the people of Israel at this time, the context would have been Israel was at a time of, of, of kind of national chaos. Uh, there was spiritual decay. There was moral decay. There was, there was, there was leadership decay. Um, it was just not a good situation at all. People of Israel were rebelling against God. They rejected God. They were following other gods. And, and God had about had enough. And, and the leaders of, of Israel at this time were King Ahab and his wife Jezebel. And um, you can probably tell by the name Jezebel, we often use that term in a negative sense, that Jezebel and Ahab, they weren't, they weren't really good people. They were, they were pretty wicked, in fact. They led people astray. They, they worshipped false gods. They practiced injustice and oppression. They, they used their power to exploit people. Uh, we'll see, you can see more of their stories as you read through the rest of First Kings. And God has had enough. God has been patient God made a covenant, a promise with the people of Israel to be their God and they would be his people. God has kept his end of the deal, but they have not. It's been quite a while since they have. There's been a a steady line of kings who have have not followed God. And God finally has enough. And like a parent who's at wit's end when their child goes awry, God exercises tough love in the hope that Israel will come to their senses and, and return to him as they experience the consequences of their actions. And so God decides in this context, I'm going to go hands off. In other words, he says to them, you want to do your thing. You want to reject me as your God and father. You want to follow other gods. Fine. I'm not going to force myself on you. I'm not going to control you. I'm not going to make you follow me. I've warned you. I've begged you. I've pleaded with you. I've forgiven you time and again. I've loved you unconditionally. That hasn't worked. So I'm letting you go your own way. And so God, what he does, he, he, he withdraws. He, he pulls back. He, he withdraws his provision from the people of Israel. That's what we see right away in the story at the beginning of the chapter where we read this. Now, Elijah, who is from Tishbe and Gilead, told King Ahab, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, the Lord I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. So, there's going to be a drought, and a drought anywhere is not good news. We see that on the news every day, right? But in the Middle East, it's particularly bad. I mean, there's hardly any water resources at all. And so God pulls back his provision. And as we're going to see later, the drought lasts for three and a half years. 
And, and so God sends Elijah to the court to deliver this message to Ahab and, and Jezebel, which would have not made him very popular. And so then God, to protect his prophet and also to exercise tough love, I guess you could say, God withdraws his prophet. There's not only a, going to be a, a drought of rain, there's going to be a drought of God's word. And so he withdraws his prophet. And Elijah is sent to a place called Kirith, a small brook that feeds into the Jordan River. And you say, okay, this is all kind of depressing. There's drought. There's rebellion. God, God removes the prophet. There's no more word of the God being spoken to the people. Where's the faith in this story? And the faith is found here in the first couple of verses where we read this. So Elijah did as the Lord told him. That's a pretty good definition of faith. God says something and you do it. God directs you to go somewhere and you go. So Elijah did what God told him to do. He camps at Kiriath and, and waters there. He drinks from the stream. And every day by Raven's Express Food Service, he gets water morning and night. Not more than he needs, just enough, nothing left over, but just enough. He learns to trust in God's provision. He's growing in his faith. God speaks. Elijah obeys. God provides what Elijah needs as Elijah responds in faith. Trust and obey. And God asks more of Elijah. He wants Elijah to grow more in his faith, which we're going to see next, which is how God works. We don't just come to faith in God, take a step of faith. We see him work in our lives. And then God's like, okay, you graduated, you made it, you're mature, you figured it out, no more growth needed for you, I'm going to move on to somebody else. God constantly is calling us to take steps of faith, to move forward in faith. Take a step, see God respond. Take a step, watch God meet needs. Go farther, grow deeper. Go farther still, see God do it even more in you and in through you. That's how faith works. And so God is, doing, is going to do that with Elijah. He's just called him to, to go to the court to deliver a, a dangerous message. He's called him to then take a step of faith and go to the stream in the middle of nowhere where there's no food. And he relies upon ravens bringing him meat in the morning and night. And you think, how much more can he grow in faith? That's pretty, those are pretty sizable steps of faith, right? Take a look at verse 8. Then the Lord said to Elijah, go and live in the village of Zarephath, near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. So how is this a bigger step of faith? I mean, for goodness sakes, he's been living in the wilderness, relying upon birds to bring him food. That's all he's getting, food delivered by birds. Here he's being asked to go to a city, and there's an actual human being a widow, a woman who's going to cook for him and provide him food. So how's this a bigger step of faith? How's this going to grow Elijah? Well, a couple of things about Zarephath. Zarephath was not a part of Israel. It was, a, it was a foreign city. It was outside the borders of Israel. So he's a Jewish man, an Israelite man, going to an area that's Gentile. And for him, that would have meant being unclean and associating with people that normally they wouldn't have associated with. It's, it's, it's pushing him outside his comfort zone. And along with that, Sidon, which is the biggest city next to Zarephath, that's Jezebel's home turf. That's where she grew up. 
So he's not going to be very popular in that area because of his message of drought. Another thing that's going to stretch him is this idea of this widow. I mean, culturally, once a woman was widowed, they were very, very vulnerable. There was no one more vulnerable than them except for maybe orphans. And so she's living here with her son, and she couldn't provide. We're going to see in just a moment. She can't provide for herself, much less her son, much less a full-grown prophet with a full-grown appetite. How could she help him? Why would she help him? Let's pick it up the story again in verse 10 this time. And we find her gathering sticks, nothing left, and she's going to die. Let's pick it up in verse 10. So he went to Zarephath, and as he arrived at the gates of this village, he saw a widow gathering sticks. And he asked her, would you please bring me a little water in a cup? As she was going to get it, he called to her, bring me a bite of bread too. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. And I have only a handful of flour left in a jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal, and then my son and I will die. Doesn't sound like a good plan to me, you know. I mean, it'd be like, say, there's a, there's a pastor in a church in Jerusalem, and God says, um, I want you to go to Baghdad, just trust me, uh, and I'm going to provide for you through a homeless woman walking the streets of Baghdad, and oh, by the way, she has a son too. Don't worry, it's all going to work out. That's, that's what God is, is, is asking Elijah to trust. And he goes to Zarephath, and then what we see is God gives this woman an invitation to believe. He gives her a chance to, to take a step of faith. And she does. God speaks through Elijah, and the widow obeys, which is amazing. She's not from Israel. She doesn't worship their God. She would have grown up worshiping other gods, a different culture. She doesn't know Elijah. He's an enemy of Jezebel, who is the local girl made good. This could cost her not only her life, but her son's. And yet somehow she had faith in the God of Israel. And she's rewarded. Let's take a look again. But Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you've said, but make a little bread for me first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops go grow again. And she, she seems to, to believe this. This is going to happen because what does she do next? So she did as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. And there was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. Just like clockwork, every morning, every night, they go to the jar, they go to the containers, there's just enough. Not more than they need, but just enough. Enough oil, enough flour to make some food, to have some drink, and to stay alive. Just what they needed, just enough when they needed it which is often how God grows us. He wants us to take steps of faith. If we, if we step out in faith and everything's taken care of for the next 10 years, where's the incentive to keep growing in our faith? So God works in her life, in Elijah's life, to give them just enough what they needed day by day as they trust in him. 
And so she shows us a, what trust means. Trust it means obedience. She's saying basically, I trust that God is going to take care of my needs. Therefore, I will obey his word. How does that play out for us? Lord, I trust that you'll provide a job when I lose one during this pandemic. Lord, I trust that you'll protect me and my loved ones. Lord, I trust that you are on the throne, and no matter what happens in our nation, in our world, I'm going to act like I believe that. Lord, I trust that you're at work in the lives of my family and my friends who don't follow you. I believe that you love them more than I do and your work in their lives. Now, clarification is needed here. We do not manipulate God through our obedience. We don't get God to do stuff because we obey. It doesn't work that way. God grows us through our steps of faith and provides what we need. We call those things blessings. Not always what we want, but what we need. And what do we need? We have physical needs, certainly. We have emotional and relational needs, certainly. Our most important needs are spiritual needs. Forgiveness, meaning, hope, joy, peace, love, life. All of those needs and more are met in the person of Jesus Christ. Back to the story, verse 17. Takes a surprising turn here. A bigger test of faith. Sometime later, the woman's son became sick. He grew worse and worse, and finally he died. So it took a while. Then she said to Elijah, O man of God, what have you done to me? Have you come here to point, point out my sins and kill my son? Now, the widow and Elijah, no doubt they would have been praying. It sounds like it took a while. He got worse and worse, and finally he died. So it could have been days, could have been weeks. We don't know. We're not sure what happened. We don't know what the illness was. We're not sure how old he was. But they would have prayed. They would have prayed to the God who had been providing food and oil and, and flour for them every single day, who had been meeting their needs. They would have been praying to this God, and they didn't get an answer. And it seemed that God was silent, that he didn't care, and the son dies. Maybe you've had a similar experience. Maybe there's been something in your life that you really wanted to happen. You prayed for God that this to happen in your life, life of a loved one. And it didn't happen. And, and you wonder, is, is God even listening? Does, does God care? God seems, son, I'm, I'm trying to walk in faith, and yet I'm not getting the answer that I think I should be getting. What have I done wrong? Which was sort of the widow's response. It's a very human response. But she comes to Elijah and she has bad theology. She basically says, God must be vindictive. He, he, he brought you here to point my sin out, to make me feel bad about myself, and then to kill my son. Which is a human response. And Elijah's response, we're going to see in a few minutes, is also a very human response. But Elijah, he has a longer history with God. And so when God doesn't seem to speak, Elijah shows faith. Pick it up in Verse 19. But Elijah replied, give me your son. And he took the child's body from her arms, carried him up the stairs to the room where he was staying, and laid the body on his bed. Then Elijah cried out to the Lord, O Lord, my God, why have you brought tragedy to this widow who has opened her home to me, causing 
her son to die. So sounds kind of similar to what the widow was saying to him. And again, it's a very natural response. Elijah doesn't understand. He, how could God allow this? How could God want this? I mean, the widow had been good to him, had been faithful to him, the servant and prophet of God. She had trusted in, 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 his, in his God, the God of Israel. You know, the, the Bible doesn't whitewash our responses and our feelings, which I think is a, a good thing. It displays very human reactions. We ask why. There's pain. There's frustration. There's disappointment. Maybe disillusionment. There's anger. All those things that Elijah must have been feeling and thinking. But he doesn't stay there. He acts in faith on behalf of the boy. Pick it up again. And Elijah stretched himself out over the child three times and cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, please let this child's life return to him. And the Lord heard Elijah's prayer, and the life of the child returned, and he revived. And then Elijah brought him down from the upper room and gave him to his mother. Look, he said, your son is alive. He stretches out his body. He prays for life, and the boy lives. Now, there's some parallels here. Isn't this, isn't this, sort of what, isn't this what Jesus Christ does for us, did for us? We're dead in our sin. Our greatest, greatest need is unmet forgiveness and life after death. The greatest question we have, what's next, hasn't been answered. Is there hope for eternity? And Jesus stretched out his body on the cross. And Jesus cried out to God in pain. Where are you, God? Why have you forsaken me? But Jesus was obedient to God's will. He spent three days in the tomb, and then he was raised to life. Our greatest, greatest need met resurrection, hope, forgiveness, new life, new beginnings. You see, God will provide what we need in his time and in his way when we trust and when we obey. So what does it mean to have faith? It means to trust in God's faithfulness and provision even when times are tough. And how can we live out our faith? It means to, to take action, to do what God says, to go where God says, to obey, even when it doesn't make sense, and even when it costs us, especially when it costs us. And how do we do this when God is silent? We can express pain. We can express frustration. There's example, example, example after an example in the scriptures of that. Be honest with God, but hang in there and keep walking in faith. It's a journey. It takes movement. Keep walking in faith because God has met all of our needs, every single need in his son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are enough, that all of our needs are met in you. Lord Jesus, help us to, to not only hear that and to maybe agree with it, but but also to live it out. Lord, to be people who hear from you and then obey. People who know your will and then go and do it. Lord, we, we thank you for the, the way you provide for us on a daily basis. We have life and health and friends and family. 
we have freedom, we have uh, uh, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, um, we have the beauty of your creation, we have the ability to, to care for ourselves, Lord. Um, but most importantly, we have our greatest needs, our spiritual needs met, meaning and purpose, love and hope, joy and peace, and life after death. So, Lord, we worship you, we praise you, and we say that you truly, Lord, you truly are enough. We trust and stand in you alone. In your name, Jesus. Amen.